0: Let's, uh, <clears throat> let's take a moment and pray together. Uh, Father, we uh, come before you in the name of Jesus, and uh, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather each Sunday. Uh, God, help us not to take that for granted. We've got brothers and sisters around the world who uh, that's a real struggle, Father, just to be able to gather. Um, and God, as we gather this morning, we don't gather to be entertained. Uh, we don't gather to hear... From someone just about opinions on the things we need to be doing, we gather uh, to encounter you. And so, Father, as we sit underneath your word, now that we have um, sung to you and praised your name in that way, Father, uh, let us worship and praise in another way by sitting under your word and submitting to it. And God, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. Um, There are some here who, uh, God, have questions. There are some here who just need to be comforted this morning. There are some of us here, Lord, who uh, need to be spiritually uh, convicted and awakened. Uh, Some of us need to be warned about the cliff we're about to run over. So, Father, will you speak to each one of us in the way that we need to hear as we again submit ourselves to your word? We love you, and we ask it humbly but expectantly uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Let me say uh, first, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here. If you're a guest, my name's Cale. I'm a teaching pastor. I said if you're a guest. If you're not a guest, my name's still Cale. But um, uh, <laughs> guests, thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, we say this to guests every week. If you are new, so there are some QR codes in front of you on the chairs. Please feel free to pull out your smartphone. Uh, you can do that in church. Pull out your smartphone, point the camera app at that QR code, and that'll take you to a resource called lpguest.com and uh, that's for you. It's got the message notes that'll be on the screens this morning. It's got a bunch of helpful info there. There's also a guest information card, and we would love to be able to connect with you in person and also digitally just to make sure we don't miss you this morning. So, please take a moment, fill out that guest information card at lpguest.com. LifePoint family, welcome back. It's good to see you uh, again. Uh, Before we jump into our series, I'm going to remind us, we've been studying, so as we study through the Gospel of Luke, we've also been challenging the whole church to read through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we we finished chapter 18 yesterday. We've been challenging everyone to go one chapter a day. I've been very encouraged by some of the stories. Uh, I've been hearing one one of our staff members, one of our moms, she was telling us that her two boys, they're eight and six, they've been doing it together as a family, reading it out loud each night. And the boys, eight and six, were like, hey, this is awesome. Which book are we doing next? I'm thinking, That's awesome. I mean, eight and six, like which book are we doing next? Heard from another mom. She said she saw her son on his way out to work right before he left, grabbed his journaling Bible, right, on the way out. She said, I have not seen him grab his Bible in a long time. And so uh, super encouraged to hear those things. So we're going to do something. We're actually hoping to get sort of a photo of this across all of our campuses. So this will either be really cool or super awkward. So um, I'm going to ask for you to raise your hand, right? And and I'm just going to say, remember we said you weren't promising to finish, but you were promising to try. So if you can say, and I'm going to define try this way. If you've read at least one chapter of Luke, right? Like one chapter of Luke throughout, will you raise your hand up and just keep it up in the air, right? If you've raised one, cha- if you've read one chapter, just keep it up there, right? And you can look around the room as we're holding up hands. This is a real encouragement to me. I hope it's an encouragement to you as well. And across all campuses, we're going to get, like I said, just a, a photo of this to hopefully encourage one another as we've engaged the Word of God. So thank you. I'm going to wait for Wes. Wes, we good? So thank you guys. So hey, t- I mean, give yourself right? Just an encouragement there. Well done. If you're behind Luke 19 tomorrow, all right? So you've got 24 hours to read 17 chapters if you did one <laughs> chapter. But hopefully you've, you've been studying along with us. Thank you for engaging that. We really believe uh, that as we engage the Word of God, that God shapes us and changes us. And uh, we want to be a people of the word. And, and uh, I told our, some of our folks this morning, you can't always see like a one-to-one between this and that, but I'm like we're baptizing four people this morning. And uh, three of those, one of our younger folks expressing faith in Christ, three adults who have recently said, hey, we're going to follow Jesus with our lives. And so praise God for what he's doing. And we're absolutely, Yeah. So keep reading Luke 19, finish well, and then we'll celebrate together next weekend to say, hey, we finished Luke, but keep going, right? We'll talk through how we're going to approach that over the next uh, few months as we continue to study through Luke. We are, uh, we're going to be in Luke 4 this morning, so if you have a Bible, go to Luke 4. Big idea of this series: something we've said every week is that the gospel calls us to a life above labels, right? We live in a culture of labels, everybody wanting to label one another. You feel pressure to do this. I feel pressure to do that, to look and say, hey, which camp are you in? Whether that's politically or socially or culturally or whatever it may be. And we say, hey, when we look in the scriptures, when we look in the gospels, what we see is Jesus saying, you're not to identify yourself by, you know, tax collector, sinner, Republican, Pharisee, Democrat, right? All these, it's to be Jesus follower, right? A life above the labels to say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. That's my first identity, the only identity that really matters, son or daughter of the living God. And so we've gone through the first couple of chapters of Luke, and and if you remember, right, we've seen how God broke the silence after 400 years of not speaking to the people of Israel through the prophets anymore. And they're like, God, where are you? And and then all of a sudden, uh, this angel goes to Zechariah and Elizabeth and tells them, you're going to have a son. Miraculously, he's going to be John, John the Baptist. He's going to prepare the way. He's the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies from Isaiah and Malachi from hundreds of years before. He's going to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness saying, prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Luke 1 at the end of 1 and Luke 2, we see the angel angel going to Mary and saying, hey, you're going to have a son. And he's going to be not John the Baptist. He's going to be the one that John the Baptist is pointing towards. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God, Christ, the Lord, the one that that we've all been waiting for, the one the people of Israel have been waiting for for centuries. And he's going to bring, as we're going to see this morning, he's going to bring bring peace and salvation and healing so that all the nations might know who the Lord is. And, And then we saw... Last week, John the Baptist out in the wilderness starting his public ministry, telling people, get your hearts ready for the coming of Christ. Well, what happens in the intervening time there, from there to where we are today, is that Jesus comes and, and he does get baptized by John. And John looks at Jesus. We see this in the Gospel of John where he says, hey, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that we've all been waiting for. And, and Jesus gets baptized. And there's this incredible moment between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove. And this voice comes from heaven that says, you're my, my Son with whom I am well pleased. And you see the whole trinity over there. The God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. And, and after that incredible moment… Jesus goes straight out into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil for 40 days and for 40 nights. And, and that's a whole other sermon, right? But these moments of spiritual victory, we've seen it over and over and over in the lives of people here. And we see a pattern in the Scripture. You get these moments of spiritual victory followed by moments of spiritual testing or temptation, difficult and hard times. You see that as a pattern in the Scriptures. We see it in the experience of lives here. But again, that's another sermon for another day. From that moment on, after Jesus is victorious out in the wilderness and says no to the enemy, doesn't say, hey, I'll go an easier route, but instead he keeps telling the enemy. He quotes Scripture back to the devil. He knows his Bible, and he says, I was sent for this purpose, and I'm not deviating from that. And so from that moment on, Jesus begins his public ministry of healing and teaching and ultimately proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here. John the Baptist kept saying, get your hearts ready because the kingdom's coming. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, it's now. And that's where we pick up in Luke 4, 4, verse 14. It says this, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went through all the surrounding country, went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all synagogue is basically Jewish church. They would gather together at a building and they would read scripture and they would sing and they would have someone teach through the word. And so he's teaching. And at this point in time, he's got quite a public following and everybody loves Jesus. And again, another sermon for another day, but guarding against, uh, if your desire is just to be popular, you got to know that the masses might love you one minute and might hate you the next. Jesus experienced that, tons of popularity, right up until the part where they crucified him. The Apostle Paul experienced that. Tons of popularity in some circles and then at times volatility in others. Verse 16, it says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So now the the rock star preacher is coming home, right? Jesus has begun to taught in the synagogues and he's healing. And Luke doesn't record this for us, but he's gone through uh, Capernaum at that point in time or Capernaum, right? He's gone through this other region. He's healed people. I mean, he's got a big following and now he's coming back to his hometown, And it says, And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So here in his hometown church, Jesus is the teacher that day. And they hand to him the scroll, just so we can maybe get inside of this moment, right? Um, I I wanna show you a picture, right? So this is a picture of the scroll of Isaiah. So back in 1947, some of of us who are history nerds, you'll know this, right? The Dead Sea Scrolls, this shepherd in Israel, stumbled upon some caves and went in the caves and was like, oh my goodness, there's like these jars and these scrolls inside of these caves that seem very well preserved. Well, it turned out this shepherd stumbled upon one of the greatest archeological discoveries of the entire 20th century, really in modern history. Some of the best preserved biblical texts are found there in the Dead Sea caves. And this one, this is a picture. This scroll is 24 feet long. It's a completely intact, well-preserved, best-preserved scroll of Isaiah. And it's a thousand years older than any other scroll we had up until that point in time. Um, And so it's from around the time of Jesus. You can actually see it today. They've got it in a museum where it goes all the way around the uh, circular enclosure. It's really, really cool. But it's 24 feet long. So just picture that, right? Jesus stands up. They hand him the scroll. He opens it. And we don't know, is that the assigned reading that day or did Jesus find it? We're not entirely sure. But he unrolls the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is from Isaiah chapter 61. He reads this prophecy in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And everywhere you see liberty in the Gospel of Luke, referring to the forgiveness of sin, freedom and liberty in a spiritual sense, you're no longer a slave to your sin because of Jesus. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He Luke puts in one other quotation from Isaiah 58. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. In their day, you would stand for the reading of scripture. You would sit down. it was time to teach on it, right? So now he sits down. It's like, all right, sermon time. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. I just want us to pause there because what he's about to say is awesome. So as of verse 20, right, Jesus has stood up Again, wildly popular at this point in time. Everybody's crowding in, hometown. I know this kid, right? I saw him grow up. I know his sisters. I'm friends with his brother, right? I know him, right? And so you've got that sort of dynamic going on. He stands up and reads this prophecy. And what was typical is that now you would give an interpretation of, well, what did it mean? And maybe a new insight on it or something like that. And, and maybe Jesus did that, but Luke doesn't record any of it. If he did, if he gave a sermon on it, Luke doesn't record any of it. This is what Luke records Jesus is saying. Verse 21. Sits down and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's what you would call a a first century mic drop moment, right? That's the equivalent where Jesus sits down It's really, like, don't miss the significance of this. Every other teacher, this is what, when you read through the Gospel of Luke, when you read through the Gospels, you see it over and over that people marveled at the authority with which Jesus taught. They would listen to the scribes and the Pharisees, and they'd hear people who were very educated, very eloquent, very knowledgeable. But what shocked people when it came to Jesus is the authority with which he spoke, and he, so he gets up and he reads the, the prophecy and instead of saying, so here's what this means or, or at least in addition to that, he just looks at him and says, I'm him. <laughs> it's been fulfilled. What Isaiah is talking about I am the fulfillment of that. That's what, he, he's not, and this is, this is why Jesus came. He didn't come to just give a new interpretation or to explain Scripture. He came ultimately to proclaim the good news that I'm the fulfillment of Scripture. Everything the Old Testament has been pointing to, everything these prophets were talking about, they were pointing, Jesus says, to me. And I want to try to broaden our view and and help us understand just the significance of this. So, So Isaiah 61 is certainly in view. He literally opens up the scroll to Isaiah 61 and says, look, freedom to the captive, liberty to those who are oppressed, good news to the poor. But when you look at the language of Isaiah 61, it's actually kind of referencing back to Leviticus 25, And I want to explain, you don't have to turn to Leviticus 25, I'm not going to have it on the screens. If you want to go back and you can read through Leviticus 25, I would highly encourage you to do so. There's a a concept there, a year that was celebrated in the life of Israel. Every 50 years called the year of Jubilee. And it's awesome, right? So, so here's what happened, right? Every seven years in the life of Israel, they would have what's called a Sabbath year. So they would work really hard. God would say, hey, work just like you have six days in a week and then you take one off. He would say, six years, plant stuff, build stuff, do your farming, right? Gather, reap, harvest. But on the seventh year, give the land a rest. Give the land a rest and you take a rest. Pick what only, just take what grows off the land. And God actually promised them. Like, well, what if we don't harvest? We don't do that. God's like, I'll make the land so abundant. You'll have everything you need. I want you to take a rest. And then, here's what's really cool. Every seven, that was every seven years. He said on the seventh, seventh year, right? So at year 49, going into 50, in the 50th year, he says, you proclaim the year of Jubilee. Jubilee literally means a ram's horn. So this is so cool. On the day of atonement, on the day of atonement, Right? We talked about that a few weeks ago or a few months ago, how Jesus, right, is the ultimate Passover land. On the Day of Atonement, when they were celebrating the Passover, when God passed over the people of Israel in his judgment on Egypt and they, they killed the blood of a lamb and put the blood over their doorpost, and the angel of death passed them over on that day when they're celebrating that God passed us over, God didn't look on our sin because of the blood of the lamb, they would blow the ram's horn on the day of atonement and they would declare it's the year of Jubilee. And here's what happened during the year of Jubilee. The whole year off, no, no farming, no working of that. I mean, you could gather what was grown. But freedom to the oppressed, liberty to the captive. So if you, were in, if you had sold yourself, your labor into slavery because you got into debt, you were set free that year. If you had lost your ancestral lands, if your, if your family, the, the land that was allotted to you as an Israelite, if you'd lost that, it was restored to you during that year. This challenges all of our notions of ownership. And things, but God was trying to get them to understand all the land is mine. All the land is mine. You're just leasing it for a while, so it's re-leased back to the people I gave it to in the year of jubilee. It was an incredible so freedom to the oppressed. Slaves were set free. If you had debts, they were forgiven in the year of jubilee, and your land, if you had lost it, you got to go home. So just want you to think about that for a moment. That year is this year where they, on the day of atonement they blow the ram's horn. They're like year of jubilee, debts are forgiven. Freedom to the slave, you get to go home to your homeland, you are released. It was this incredible year of forgiveness and freedom and grace and joy and celebration. And when Isaiah talks about, right, there's coming this person who's going to, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim liberty to the captives, good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He's not only looking forward to the day where that's going to happen ultimately. But he's looking back to Leviticus 25 and to this aspect of Israel's history, this lived experience where they saw, man, we know what this looks like when the oppressed are set free and the slave is set free and people get to go home. And here Jesus, almost as if he's saying, I'm the ultimate jubilee. I'm the ultimate. Jesus is the ultimate jubilee. You're oppressed, there's freedom in Christ. You're a slave to sin, there's freedom in Christ. You're sad, there's joy in Christ. You're, you're in darkness, there's light in Christ. In fact, you can experience grace in Christ. You can have your sin washed away and the debt paid. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus paid for your sin, took the nails in his hands, in his feet for you and for me. And you really can be washed clean. You can be set free from your slavery to sin. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus defeated death and hell. He took the punishment of sin. And at the resurrection on Sunday, he defeated death itself. And he promises for all who turn from their sin and trust him that he gives you that same power. By the way, the Holy Spirit, you can be raised to new life. See, the the year of Jubilee is pointing forward to this much greater time of the forgiveness of sin and debt and freedom and grace because through faith in Jesus, the spiritually poor become spiritually rich. Sinners become saints. Slaves become free. The oppressed can rejoice. Those living in darkness can step into the light. Those in addiction can be set free and made whole. The prideful can be made humble. The exhausted and weary can find rest in Jesus. That's what he promised. And the orphan... Those who feel today, if you feel abandoned and unloved, you can find love and acceptance and adoption in the arms of the Father because of Jesus. That's what the ultimate Jubilee is. Does that excite anyone else? Like I read that, I'm like, that's awesome, right? So here, if you're you're new, let me say, if you're new to Christianity and you're here today and you're like, man, somebody invited me or I'm just sort of checking this out, we're not here proclaiming a behavioral change program. We're not here proclaiming, here's how you be a good person so we can look down on all the non-good people. We're here proclaiming what Jesus proclaimed. Hey, there's freedom in him. There's forgiveness in him. There's life in him. There's light in him. There's hope in him because Jesus died and rose again. And the ultimate jubilee is here. The ultimate freedom is here. Freedom for the captive, liberty for the oppressed, the forgiveness of sin, the payment of debt. You really can find it. It really is found in and through Jesus. So here's the question How do we respond to that? So, one of the things that's also really challenging, if you've been following through with Luke, Jesus says a lot of challenging stuff. (laughs) Like, it's really good news. But Jesus has this knack for not saying things that leave us just going, yeah, that's interesting. But rather saying things that call us to a place of response. So what are you going to do about it? Or are, and really the, the response, when you say, well, what am I supposed to do? It's, are you going to believe him or not? Are you going to believe? So if I could say, like, what do we do with this? Let me, let me give us a negative example. Let's not do what the people of Nazareth did. If you go back to verse 22, look at verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. That's been everybody's attitude up until this moment. And then Jesus says this, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? And this is the the turning moment. Mark in chapter six of his gospel gives us a little more insight into this moment. He literally tells us, and they took offense at his words. They took offense at him. So here's what happens is Jesus gets to this moment. Everybody's like, he's such a good teacher, man. He's such a good, this is awesome. He's like healing people. And then he comes and he's like, yeah, I'm the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament has talked about. And suddenly everyone's like in his hometown. They're like, wait a second. We saw him grow up. He lives, I mean, his mom lives over there. I know his brothers and his, se- how could he possibly be the Messiah? How could this guy possibly be the fulfillment of the Old Testament? How could he be claiming to be able to set free the oppressed and the captive? Wait a second. And they take offense at him. And if you read on in the rest of Luke 4, Jesus looks at them and he says, you're going to probably tell me, hey, physician, heal yourself. It's an old proverb. And he's basically saying, you're going to ask me to do here in Nazareth what I've done elsewhere right? Come do the miracles, show us a bunch of signs so we'll believe in you. And he goes on to tell them two stories. Tells them a story uh, of a widow during the time of the prophet Elijah. And he tells them the story of a guy named Naaman who was a Syrian, an outsider. Both, both the widow and Naaman were foreigners uh, during the time of Elijah and Elisha. And he tells them those stories. And basically the point is this, he says, look, you are just like your ancestors, Hardness of heart and unbelief. And just like God went outside of Israel in the past to show his mercy and his grace and his power because people were stubborn and hard-hearted, he says it's the same now. And Mark actually tells us there was so little faith there that Jesus really didn't do many miracles. He just left to go other places where people were more open and willing to believe that there really is power in the name of Jesus. In fact, what happens is they get so angry at him, they, they, they try to throw him off of a cliff. They drag him out of the synagogue, take him out to a hill, and they want to throw him off. And Luke tells us he just walked away right in their midst. And we don't really know how that worked, except that he's, he's God. So he did. But that's their response. They liked it. Up. So when it was interesting, when it's interesting, and that's good, yeah, good teaching, heal some people. When it came to, I'm the Messiah, are you going to believe or not? That's where the doubt and the hardness of heart and the unbelief came in. And Jesus calls them out on it. And their response is they get furious and they get offended. And so really, the, I think the question is for us this, right? There, there are two basic responses to the word of, of God, to Jesus' words. You can, you can get offended at them, right? You can be offended by his words or you can take them at his word. You can be offended by his words. I don't like that. That doesn't fit my theology. and my, That's not the Jesus I like to think of. Or you can just take him at his word and say, Jesus, you say this is who you are, that you really can set the captive free. You can be offended by that and say, well, you don't understand what I've been through, Jesus. You don't understand. You can set me free. Light can expel darkness in my life. You don't understand the situation. Or you can say, Jesus, I really believe you are the son of God. And you see all of my life. You see all of what I've done and all that's been done to me. And yet you claim that you can bring healing. I don't have to stay here. It's okay to not be okay. But Jesus doesn't intend for you to stay that way. That he says, hey, I, I want to, I'm not saying all the problems are going to go away, but I want to bring healing into your life. I can, That he has the authority and the power to do that. And you can be offended by that. And doubt him, or you can take him at his word and say, Jesus, I'm following. And maybe this is going to be a long process, but I trust that you have the power to do this. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to keep it pretty short this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us here in a moment. And uh, I'm going to challenge us to really pray and think about, so, so maybe two groups, right? Uh, for those of us who, you, you're here this morning and you'd say, like, I'm a believer in Christ. I have claimed Jesus as my own. We're going to celebrate four people taking that step today, right? Like I've claimed Jesus as my own, that he has saved me. I want to press press on us and ask, do we believe that really there is power in the name of Jesus? We're going to sing that in a little bit, right? There's power in the name of Jesus. I want us to be a people that really clings to that, that really believes that. The scriptures talk about there's a, there's a form of spirituality that kind of knows the right things to say, but denies the power of the gospel. And we're like, yeah, Jesus saves people. But when it really comes to it, we're like, ah, I don't think that person's gonna change. <laughs> yeah, like Jesus can heal. Like he can heal a marriage or a family. This is a train wreck. Like there's no way out of this. Like in those moments, do we, do we believe and, and will we, are we willing to appeal to God We just read it in in Luke, right? The persistent widow, right? The judge who's not even a just judge, but she just keeps nagging him over and over and over and over. And finally he's like, I will just give you justice so you will shut up. And Jesus says, that's how I want you to pray. (laughs) Just keep coming to me. Because if a bad judge will give someone justice just because they keep pestering him, how much more a good father will give us justice, will move when we come to him desperate in prayer and say, Father, we need you to move. There are things that we can do. We can gather and we can sing and we can read the word and we can serve and we can give and we can pray, but God, there's stuff that only you can do. And and I want us to be a church that can look at what's happening and say, there's really no way to explain that other than the Holy Spirit is moving in our midst and in our community. And we can't tack that up. Look, you know, we can, we can serve people. We can love people. We can't change people's hearts. We can give and we can pray, but we can't force someone to cross out of darkness into light. We can't force someone to, hey, open your heart to the gospel. That's stuff that only the Father can do. And so I want us to pray to him and ask that he would do it. And then for others of us, um, you might be here this morning and, and the question, you're still at this point of, am I going to be offended by Jesus' words or am I going to take him at his word? And let me say, if you're like, if you're not ready yet, you are more than welcome to continue coming, asking questions. Please press in. At some point in time in your walk here, you're going to be forced to make a decision. The only thing that doesn't make sense is to stay in a middle ground where you're like, you know, I think Jesus is interesting. He just doesn't leave that option open to us. He calls us to response. Turn from your sin, place your faith in Jesus or not. And what's really interesting is is Jesus, when he quoted Isaiah 61, uh, he left out the next verse. So the, the very next verse that he didn't quote is about the judgment of God. You're like, why would he do that? Jesus wasn't afraid of talking about judgment. I mean, you read through Luke and you're like, he talks about this a lot. Why did he leave it out? We think it's because Jesus is emphasizing today. Today's not the day of judgment. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of grace. There's coming a day where Jesus is gonna come back. And when he does, there are no more chances, no more opportunity to repent and turn from sin. But until that day comes, you've got an opportunity, as long as you still have a pulse, as long as you're still breathing, you've got an opportunity to get right with the Lord. And I want for all of us to come to that day, either your death day or the day that Jesus returns, I want us to come to that day prepared excited to meet Jesus, our Savior and our King. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we do pray that you would make us a people, God, who are marked by your word, who engage your word, who study it, who live it, who pray it, and who believe it. Will you just pray that with me? Just pray in your own words that, that God would give us hearts that are uh, desperate for him. Um, as, people, as God puts people on your hearts to pray for, pray for him. Take a moment and just pray to the Lord. And let's appeal to him uh, to move in our midst. Lord Jesus, I want to lift up those right now who are struggling to really believe. Maybe it's cynicism or skepticism or just doubt. But when they hear the words freedom to the captive, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, the year of the Lord's favor, that today is the day of salvation. God, there's just a fight against that. How could it be? Is Jesus really who he says he is? Could he really save me? Could I be forgiven? Could light really expel this darkness in my soul? Could I really let the secrets out and not be ashamed, but forgiven and accepted? Could I really see my marriage change? Could I really see change in the life of my children? Could I really find happiness and joy in this season? Is Jesus really greater than my circumstances? Is there really rest found in him? Come to me all who are weak and weary and I will give you rest. Father, will you help us to believe those words? And God, whether we've been following you for many years and just need to recommit this morning, become more desperate in prayer, or Father, whether it's for some of us, it's the first time we will ever pray those words to say, Jesus, I wanna come home to you. I wanna see my debt paid and claim that, that you paid for it at the cross. I wanna be set free. God, will you meet each one of us where we are this morning? And will you help us, help us take a step? Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we ask that you would continue to move in our midst, God, that we might be a city on a hill to our community around us to proclaim the goodness of Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen.